Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of what to do when it's your turn by Seth Godin and... It's always, it's always your, turn. your turn. That's it. Always. It's your turn. It's your turn to ship. It's your turn to speak up. It's your turn to stand out, build a following, market a product, make a connection, solve an interesting problem, write, sing, invent, create, ask a question, launch a product, organize a protest, open the door for someone, question authority, make a short film, direct, produce, create, adopt. It's your turn. It's a lot of shit you can do, man, if you take your turn because it's easy, it's fun, it's guaranteed to work. Of course you can do it, mate. You can do it. All of this is true except for the part. Uh, it's fun, easy, and guaranteed. That part's actually where we're <laughs> that bit wasn't, a bit. That's right. It's probably not going to be easy, fun, and guaranteed. But yes, of course, you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> you so can. Half the package deal just vanished. <laughs> but that's still, it's still an opportunity, man. It really is. That's it. The, this book, it's about an opportunity, the opportunity to take your turn, to make a difference, the opportunity to contribute, to lead, and to live your life fully. It might not work. It might not be fun. But probably do it anyway. The two people, they're on an escalator. We know they're sort of high-powered executives because they're dressed nicely. They're carrying briefcases. They appear in a bit of a rush. They're a little bit agitated, a little bit stressed. And suddenly, with a bit of a lurch, the escalator comes to a stop. Both these fancy executives are now trapped on a broken escalator, apparently unable to get to any safety. So the first one's pretty frustrated with it in size and the second one starts calling for help, just yelling out and screaming, for coming, hey, hey. And they're pretty important people. They're execs, unable to, to get where they need to go because the escalator is broken. There's really, there's no one out there to come and fix it for them or rescue them either. Somebody. Hello. There are two people stuck on an escalator and we need help now. Would somebody please do something? Help! 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 <laughs> I don't believe this. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. <laughs> well, there's not enough left to do, is it? It's pretty. It's a. It's a funny clip. It's worth watching. But too many of us were unable to see that all you have to do is just walk up the escalator. The stairs. They're already there. They're built in. They're a part of it. Of course, you know if the escalator's functioning, it's a lot easier. It just carries you up. But walking up the stairs is a hell of a lot better than just being stuck. So this book is about seeing where you're stuck. You might be on the escalator now, and Seth's just trying to say, "Hey, come on, mate, just walk down and <laughs> get, get get unstuck and start swimming upstream and assist them. They would often prefer." You know, the system probably does prefer you just to stand still, but you don't really have to. That's right. It's about realizing it's your turn. It's always your turn. And uh, once you see the opportunity, it's yours to, to take your turn. There's a pretty big opportunity on the table here, and that's freedom. But your automatic instincts, you've got freedom, but you want to avoid it at all costs. You've got the freedom to do a whole bunch of things like connect. Uh, you can reach out to anyone in the world. You can create. You can sing. You can write. You can invent. You can share widely. You can learn, you can take almost a course on any topic today and put that learning to work. There's so much shit we can do in the world because we have this freedom here. We still don't do it. That's it. The world today, the changes over the last couple of decades that everybody's got so much freedom, but it, it kind of is uh, a lot easier to not take that freedom because whilst our opportunity is freedom, the problem is also freedom. It's not that we don't have enough freedom. It's that we believe that we can't handle the freedom we have. Because freedom brings the appearance of risk, brings responsibility. The freedom means that you've got to make the choice. So, whilst freedom is our opportunity, it can be our problem. 
yeah, well, with freedom, if you choose that, it brings responsibility and yet yeah, you get to you get to make a choice at some stage. So usually when we say it's your turn, it's really your turn to be picked, to be the next one um, and the person who fits in more than any other. You can be the next plant manager or the next in line for a promotion or the next in line at the deli. But this is the model where you're really just waiting for change. If it's your turn, you're just waiting for someone to say, hey, <laughs> Astro, it's your turn. Go on, mate. That's right. That's one way of doing you're, it. You're waiting there. You're waiting for to be picked for your turn. But this is a different model of your turn. Instead of being the person who's waiting for change to happen to you, this is about the person who makes change. It's about taking a turn to make something interesting, to make change for the better, and most of all, to make a change that kind of connects us to someone else. It's the the freedom to make the change and also the willingness to seek out the uncomfortable tension that it brings. And it's pretty predictable, this uncomfortable tension. There's there's quite a few issues with it, three of them. You know, number one, this, if you do it yourself, things might not turn out exactly like you hope. There's too much uncertainty and you don't know what it's going to bring. Number two, resolution, it takes a long time. You're going to be like, you know, Moses going through Exodus in the desert. <laughs> uh, through the, you're going to go through the desert really to get to the promised land eventually. But that time in the desert, no one wants to hang out there. Number three, you might fail. And um, obviously, if you're just hanging out on the escalator, if you're just waiting in line for the promotion, waiting for someone else to pick you, you're not really risking failure whatsoever. That's it. So normally when it's our turn, which it's, as we said, it's always our turn, we normally take a pass. When we see it might not work, it might not turn out the way we hope, it's going to take a long time. We might just think, okay, let's just stay here on this escalator. Let's wait for the repair person to come along and tweak a few things and kick that escalator back into gear again. But it's not really the way to do it. Yeah, that's it. We sort of like things to be okay. But what's Seth saying? Not everything has to be okay all Mm. the time. It doesn't have to be like that. Because if you're moving forward with generosity, if you're just moving forward to just to live with tension and move forward and learning to let go, there'll be times when your feeling isn't that it's all okay. Mm. All the people that we look up to and we admire, all these successful people who have achieved these great things that we wish we could do, it's not that they're better than us. It's just that they were more willing to live with that uncertainty of this thing that I'm going to try, it might work, but it also might not work. For a lot of people, the the tension between it might work and it might not work is enough to keep them stuck, but you want to be the type of person who thinks, okay, it might work, it might not work, so I'm going to do it anyway. He says they care enough to fail. Now, it's a bit of a, I don't know what the word oxymoron means, but I'm going to use it here. <laughs> Does it work? It just feels like it works here. I don't know what it yeah, means. Probably, yeah, close but, um, but basically, you, you, you care so much that you're willing to fail because... Mm you know, the possibility of it actually working out and succeed and you know there's a real possibility of failure but you're going to just take mm-hmm. the bullet anyway to make it work. Um, just a pure oxymoron. I can't say any more about it. <laughs> nice. I think it pretty much What's an pretty oxymoron? Much works. Two things that go together that shouldn't go together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it kind of works. <laughs> I, I killed it. Oh, that's it. <laughs> Man, you can add that one oh, mate, to the I, vocabulary. That was proper. I cared enough that I could have failed it. that I did it. You that's know? it. Mate, that, which ties nicely into the next section, the fear of stupidity. Hey. Mate, you took a risk. You could, have, you could have been seen as stupid. But the thing is, stupid is not a bad thing. Normally, we think, oh, man, if, I'm, if I try this new thing, I'm going to look so stupid. But Seth says, you know, a scientist, they're going to work for 10 years, 20 years, sometimes a lifetime on some problem of math or logic or biology. And for that whole time, they're stupid. Until one day, the eureka moment when it clicks, instantly, they're not stupid anymore. Mm. So, the thing is, you've got to be willing to live through all that time of being stupid, appearing stupid until eventually you get to the point where you're not stupid anymore. It happens a lot with artists, doesn't it? 
um, in general. There's just like this, there's such a hard grind without that respect and reputation and mm. status sometimes. And then bang, all of a sudden you just, you go, you're the <laughs> highest status person in the whole world. So it's, it's weird. But it's just it that is. desert moment in the middle. And then, you know, tomorrow went through the desert then. And I'm going to drop the word oxymoron with a bit more context in a great <laughs> setting and look really smart. So there That's you go. It. The only way to not be stupid is to be stupid. As in the only way to actually learn something is to go through not knowing it. Take those risks that it might not work until you eventually get to the point where you're not stupid anymore. So you can avoid change altogether. You're never going to look stupid, yes, but you're never going to get to the end. Mm. The best way to avoid fear and that fear of stupidity is to avoid freedom altogether. Mm. Um, But the good way is to embrace stupid. Enjoy it, get into it, get stuck into it, lean in, skip the afraid path and just get comfortable with change and get comfortable with being stupid. Um, There's nothing actually to be afraid of, you might find out. And there's nothing to avoid except the feeling of stupidity. But you just tell yourself, stupid is actually a good thing. That's it. I think um, it doesn't really mix well, Peterson (laughs) and uh, and Seth Godin. It's a bit like mixing red wine with orange juice sort of thing. But he does talk about the jester in his second book, right? How it's Mm. just like it used to be a very respected figure who the person who was the the village idiot was actually very respected because they were actually embraced the stupid. Yeah. Mate, there there is another place where Seth Godin and Jordan Peterson go together, isn't there? Was that? The shit they never taught you about attitudes. Ah, <laughs> good, Ash Joe. Good, good. <laughs> I like work. it. We said we wouldn't work it in, but we'll work that one in. Uh, Seth says, uh, which has been interesting to hear from Seth, you know, he says you've been hacked. People prey on our fear, our fear of change, our fear of stupid. Politicians, they count on our short attention spans. Banks know we're impulsive. Bosses, they exert power of us based on our fear of failure. Really, it's the culture fueled on keeping us in check, keeping us stuck. So Seth says, what you got to do is you got to hack back. Most of these big organizations that are preying on us, they kind of fear somebody who is willing to take that step up the escalator. They fear that person. And when the escalator is broken, they start walking up it anyway. Yeah. The safest dreams we experience are the dreams that have no hope of coming true. Interesting, isn't it? You can mm. say, I want to be Superman. It's very mm. easy to just go for the ones that are just that so far wild off the cuff because you know it's never going to happen anyway mm. so that's my dream it's a pretty safe bet it ironically is. it's a bit of an ox um, <laughs> to say I'm Superman <laughs> it is a bit of an ox <laughs> I don't know if that one actually worked but we can go with it you know when you're a teenager and you dream of becoming a superstar in a band traveling the world it's a pretty safe dream to have because it's probably never going to come true it's uh, much harder to have a concrete possible dream of you know I want a dream of getting a promotion to the next level up, that's a pretty scary dream to have because it means you can actually do something about it. Yeah. That, that's actually going to take guts. That's when you actually have to take your, take your turn. Stephen King is a beloved, famous, best-selling author, one of Astro's favorites. And <laughs> he's never got in the potty before, has he? No, he, he's too good, I think. He, he was telling me before. But often he goes <laughs> to writers' conferences and after he talks for a bit, he says, any questions? And some lad in the crowd, he always puts his hand up and goes, Mr. King, you are my favorite author, uh, you're the best in the world. What kind of pencil do you use to write your books? <laughs> the person in the crowd is thinking there, you know, if I just knew what kind of pencil he was using to write all these best-selling books, then I can be a best-selling author as well. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> of course, it doesn't work like all that, does it? Well, people think that, right? And <laughs> you got you put in the notes here to hang a bit of shit on Ferris because it, it does. All the questions come there, right? It's yeah. Like, well, well, uh, I remember Seth giving Ferris a whack oh, on his podcast. He? Specifically, he used his example because... A lot of Ferris's questions are like, what breakfast cereal do you eat? 
What, thinking tea? that, yeah, <laughs> thinking that if you eat the same breakfast cereal yep. as this successful person, you're also going to be successful. It's always a tea. It's always <laughs> like a, some sort of herbic, herbal turmeric tea that they have at six a.m. It's like it's the most random, stupid thing. It's got nothing to do with what they did. Yeah, it's kind of like thinking, you know, if you if you wear Michael Jordan's basketball shoes, you're going to be you're going to be slam dunking as well. It's just it doesn't really work like that. Seth says that a similar kind of question that people often ask successful people is like, where do you get all those good ideas from? Like, how did you come up with a good idea for making the, the segue? Or maybe the segue didn't really work, but, you know, where, do you, where did you get that good idea from? But Seth says, that's a stupid question. The, the proper question you should be asking is, where do you get all your bad ideas from? Yeah, because if you've got enough bad ideas, you're going to have be absolutely no trouble having good ideas because it's all about the volume of ideas that come out. Um, and that's exactly what successful people who are very creative, they do. They let the ideas out. They flow out a whole bunch of them. They're shit. They don't work. They put them into the world and the world says, <laughs> put them back in that closet, um, Johnny boy. <laughs> but some of them just go go flying, don't they? That's right. And that's the, the point is that, okay, you've got a whole bunch of ideas. You don't think if they're good or bad yet. You just get them all out. Eventually, you can start to sort of create down to the good ones. But in order to get to the good ideas, you've got to have a whole bunch of bad ones. Then the second half of the equation is once you kind of got the best idea that you possibly got right now, you got to actually do something about it. You got to ship it. You got to put it into the real world and let it interact with the market and see what happens. That's it. And in the end, if you fail more than the other person, you're probably going to win because in order to keep failing, you got to be good enough to actually keep on playing. And if you keep on playing in the game, you're just going to get better at the game. Mm. It's a good one. The, the rule is, you know, whoever fails the most wins. If you have one big epic failure, you go all in. And you... That's an oxymoron, isn't it? That it actually is. <laughs> it, is. <laughs> it is. It is. That is one. I got it right. Keep going, Ash. It is. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't I even think know what it I is. said. The person who fails the most wins. The per- yeah, Failing okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Okay, so if you have one big epic failure, you go all in, you lose the house, you lose all confidence in yourself, you lose absolutely everything, that's it. You can't play anymore. And that's one big failure and you lose. So you've only had one fail and that's it. You can't actually win. If you have a whole bunch of small failures where you try a whole bunch of things, turns out you've got a whole bunch of bad ideas, you're going to get better at getting good ideas. If you keep those failures kind of small, you can learn more. And eventually, as you say, the oxymoron, whoever fails the most wins. That's it. But there's us humans, we're pretty similar as a species, all of us. There's a noise always in our head just rattling on. Number one, I need to guarantee that embracing freedom is going to work. Um, ahead, <laughs> I take advantage of it. And number two, I need to be in the mood, that sort of thing. You're just sort of saying, hey, it's it's not my turn now, but it's yeah. obviously your turn now and it was it's 24-7 <laughs> your turn, so that's just shitty. That's right. The noise, it, it wants that guarantee. It wants, it wants someone to say, it's all going to be fine. If you try this, it's going to work, you know, but it's, it's not going to work like that, is it? No. The whole point of doing something different and taking your turn and taking a risk is that it might not work and you've got to be comfortable with doing it anyway. But the problem with having a crack at something, it makes it your fault, not just things you do, but also the things that you don't do. We can't really take those excuses because right now we're in a pretty pretty good spot. We've actually got more information, more opportunities that weren't even imagined 20 mm. years ago. Bloody 20 years ago, Astro. Like, right. If you think about it, 20, <laughs> half the stuff we do today, we like to do, You probably we just there's no chance you could do it. That's right. Even Lord Rhys Moggs from the... the Sovereign individual couldn't ever think of this because that book was written 25 years ago. <laughs> Elon Musk, interesting quote here, he says, destiny is in your own hands. If you don't succeed, it's your fault. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, there you go. It's kind of nice to just say, you know, I, I didn't succeed. 
So it's because I had no choice. You know, it's a nice, safe thing to be able to do to say I had no choice. You know, if you if you got no choice, it can't possibly be your fault. You know, there was no freedom, there was no responsibility. You couldn't choose. So how could you possibly be blamed for anything? I I had to do it. I had no choice. But the truth is, the mission you've actually had a choice. You've always mm-hmm. had a choice. You've got the freedom to choose. The things you have to claim responsibility that goes with making a call on, on whatever you want to do. You can make excuses, right? You could say, I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to make a ruckus. I didn't want to risk something important to me, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, you always had a choice and it's on you to make that call. That's it. We willfully create that illusion that we've got no choice because it's a lot more comfortable to, you know, it's frightening to be free. It's frightening to take responsibility. It's frightening to take a risk. It's frightening to make a choice. It's frightening to take our turn. So it's a lot easier to just say, oh, I couldn't do it. I had no choice. So, mate, every escalator out there, it's going to stall at some stage. Some people listening right now, you might have noticed it's just stalled. Um, and now it's really on you to figure out what you're going to do with that. Uh, you can get to the top quicker from this point if you actually just take the stairs, get off and, and get up there on your own. But at the end of the day, the freedom is always yours. When's the right time? If it's our turn, you know, when's it actually our turn? When's the best time to actually take our turn? Yeah, well, <laughs> Always. <laughs> Continue. It is in the book title, isn't it? It's it always. is. It is. <laughs> Seth, he said he did a talk to a, a famous investment bank. There was two dozen new graduates. They were the kids from the top of the heap, the famous colleges, the successful parents, the right network. They'd made it into this prestigious organization in their crisp new power suits. And pretty much on just about every measure, they had more opportunities than pretty much anybody in the world. And Seth, he gave this big half-hour rousing inspirational speech about freedom, about the broken escalator theory, about how they could do their very best work, how could they take a bit of a risk to become more than a cog in a machine. And then one bloke, we'll call him Timmy, Timmy just sort of raised his hand and said, oh, maybe it just kind of makes sense to wait a bit. You know, we're, we're just brand new. You know, I've got all these student loans I've got to pay off. It doesn't make sense to take a risk right now. Like, how about I just wait now and then later, once I'm a bit more established, once my loans are paid off, once I've got a bit of reputation, then I can start to, you know, not become a cog. Then I can take my turn to sort of carve my own path. Yeah, that's pretty common, isn't it? People probably without the opportunities like that are thinking, or oh, if only I was that person and then the, <laughs> that person's thinking if I didn't have an all this this student debt or whatever, but pretty much for everyone in any situation, it's never the right time. You might be starting a new job, it's not the right time. You're halfway through your job and you just got a promotion, now it's not the right time. Or you just started a family though, it's not the right time then. You're probably going to have to wait until the kids get up and go to college, then it's not the right time. And, you know, when you've got elderly parents who are depending on you, I just can't leave my... It's like pretty much 24-7, 365... You're going to have, (laughs) it's just not the right time, Ash. Never. It's never going to be the right time because there's always going to be something else. And you just think, oh, once I just get through this first challenge, then it'll be the right time. You know, I've just, I've just got a newborn. Let me wait three months and then it'll be the right time. But of course, then something else is going to pop up. There's always going to be something else that pops up and it's never going to be the right time. So you got to realize that even though it's not the right time, you've got to take, take your turn anyway. Mate, I reckon 500 years ago when Gutenberg was launching his print and press, there would have been plenty of mates tapping on his shoulder saying, look, mate, why are you doing this? You've got 96% of the population you can't read. If you look at the market out there, it just doesn't stack up. Less than one in 25 people know how to use the product you're about to launch and you go and harden it. Worked out pretty well for, for him. <laughs> well, that's just stupid. Why the hell would you launch the printing press You know, when, when one in 25 people can't read and it's going to take a hell of a long time to learn to read? So, that's just stupid. Mate, there's another stupid bloke back in history, Carl Benz, 150 years Boy, ago. Idiot. <laughs> Absolute idiot. In Germany, 
you try to launch a car, mate, it was against the law to drive. There were basically no roads. You had to get a letter from the king to say, yeah, sure, you can be the one person who drives this one car. That's that's stupid. Yeah, it is stupid. He's an idiot. <laughs> Gutenberg's an idiot. They're all idiots. And there's a fundamental difference between being ready and being prepared because probably more prepared than you realize, but you're probably not ready. Just mm. like the Goot man, the Gooch, the Gooch stabber <laughs> and, um, and, and Ben's man at all, right? Would you be like them? You're never going to be ready. It's never going to be the right time. It's always going to look stupid when you do something crazy like that. But uh, maybe it's not so stupid after all. Maybe it actually turned out all right that the printing press kicked off and maybe it actually turned out right that, yeah, cars actually did become a thing. So maybe you're actually not that stupid and maybe it's not too soon. Maybe you actually are ready. You might be ready, but you may or may not be thirsty. Those two lads we were just talking about, they were definitely thirsty. And where Mm. does this come from? Because this is going to be the most important things that gets you there and it's, almost impossible to go to school and go to university and someone puts on the blackboard today, you're going to become thirsty. <laughs> this doesn't work like that. Unfortunately, there's not too many books that you can read and just think, yeah, I'm thirsty all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, Sometimes there are books that can give you a bit of a get up and go, a bit of a motivation every now and then. This one does the trick for me for a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's not going to last forever. You, you've got to be the one that gets thirsty yourself. Yeah, thirst is pretty easy to kill. Um, mm. In people, all you need to do, if you want to go and hurt someone by killing their thirst, just ask them why they're doing it. Focus on their grades and outcomes, not their processes. Correct the grammar instead of rewarding inquiry. There's plenty of people out there who just look past the idea you've come up with and start pointing out apostrophes or misspelling <laughs> or saying gesture instead of gesture. <laughs> but consume instead of uh, <laughs> consume, you know, instead of produce and just give blame instead of taking responsibility. Yeah, it's very easy to kill that thirst. But if you want to be the type of person who walks up that escalator, if you want to be the type of person who takes a turn, you've got to be thirsty. Everyone's capable of it. And in fact, really, it's a requirement to actually doing anything. So, out of all the things that happened recently over the last 20 years, perhaps the most important thing that has happened to you is you've been actually given a microphone mm-hmm. and no one else had this opportunity. Today, you've got everything on the internet. There's different ways, different forms and textures of microphones, email, chat, video, meetup, Twitter, Insta, eBay, Wikipedia, Kickstarter, uh, TikTok, all that sort of stuff, but they're all, they're all mics. That's it. We've got the... We've got... Literal microphones, but everybody's got also a metaphorical microphone. All those things that you rattle off, they're all about destroying the bottlenecks to selection. Previously, you know, if you wanted to speak up and have your voice heard, you needed someone to pick you. You needed a newspaper or a radio station or a TV network. They got to pick you so that you can speak up. If you've got a new product or you need a big retailer to pick your product and put it on their shelves. That's the old way, whereas now everybody's got a microphone. You don't need to have the middleman to pick you. You can actually just pick yourself. You can take that microphone and speak up. You can take that new product and put it online. Seth's making a pretty compelling case to get off that escalator. We don't really have any excuses anymore with all these microphones, all these implication. And for some of us, we're still stuck and we're still Mm. unable to use them. Not because the microphone doesn't work, but because we're unwilling to really speak up, hop off of that escalator and start using it. That's right. The internet, it's given anybody with something to say the ability and the freedom to say it. You know, we've got the freedom to connect, the freedom to be generous, the freedom to make a difference. But we kind of don't really use this freedom to the fullest because we can't bear with that internal narrative about taking responsibility, about risk, about failure. It's not that we've lost our voice. Our voice, it's, it's always there. It's just we're kind of paralyzed into not speaking up. Is it easy? It's not. Um, if it is easy, you already do it. So, granted, it's not easy. Just as the marathon runner, they get exhausted. Just like you, 
with a loud and clear voice that's just somewhere hiding behind. But you could speak regardless like the marathon runner just runs anyway. At the start, it might be a little whisper, but you must begin to say something in this world. One of Jonesy's favorite authors, Kafka. Kafka, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Kafka. Kafka wrote about the cage in search of a bird, about there's a, a trap that was incomplete until it had something to trap. But really, we're actually birds in search of a cage. You know, where there's so much freedom, there's so much choice, there's so much opportunity, there's so many uh, ways that we can matter. We can be that bird and we can fly free, but we don't really choose to take that responsibility. We choose to go into that cage because the cage, it keeps us in, it keeps us safe, and it keeps, more importantly, it keeps everything else out. It protects us from a world that we think is full of pitfalls, not opportunities. That's insane. Birds in search of a cage. That's a phenomenal line, isn't it? That should be a song. It should be a movie. Because it's true. It's what we are. Mm. We're, we're birds. We could be birds. And f- but for some reason, we choose to stand on the escalator. We choose to go and find a cage. So, you can choose the cage. You can seek certainty wherever possible by giving them the power to pick you. You can choose chalky tonight, diet tomorrow. You can honk your horn. You can argue with your ex. You can slam the table and say, where's my steak? And you can find any reason to teach someone a lesson and point out their, their mispronunciations on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it really feels good, you, hasn't it? Yeah, it really did. There's a few one stars um, because you're, you know, it feels good and you're entitled. That's it. You can choose to let the fear drive your decisions. You can choose to stand still on that escalator, just call out for help, hope that somebody's going to get you, or you can choose to avoid certainty. You can pick yourself. You can choose to postpone gratification, seek joy, embrace generosity, dance with fear, be paranoid about being stuck as as a mediocre person, and you can really choose to be the boss of your own self. So it's not your turn to win or your turn to be picked or even your turn to be guaranteed gratitude. It's merely your turn to try something, to give a gift and start walking up that escalator towards freedom with your own two feet.